Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker speaking to you during the third week of September. 2011, and thanking you for tuning in to Movie Addict Headquarters. Today, we're celebrating the 70th anniversary of Citizen Kane, that classic Orson Welles film about the rise and fall of a notorious newspaper tycoon. As part of this celebration, we're revisiting a fascinating interview with filmmaker David Wirth, author of The Citizen Kane, Crash Course in Cinematography. And we're pleased to let everyone know that there's a special release of a 70th anniversary, I mean, not anniversary, anniversary Citizen Kane DVD, which was released last Tuesday. So it's definitely worth checking out, along with David's terrific book. Happily, Nikki Starr and Jazz Shaw are both here to to join us and to help with the show. Nikki, are all systems go in the chat room? They are. If you're having trouble getting into the chat, just keep trying. If you just keep hitting um, join, you should be okay. Taking just a little while to get through. Yes, I, I think there there are uh, some technical difficulties, mm-hmm. but don't but don't give up. Just just keep trying. And and thanks, Nikki, and thanks to the people who signed up to participate, as well as to our other listeners. We really appreciate it. Jazz, we know you're a fan of classic films, so I have a question for you. Why do you think Citizen Kane continues to be considered by many critics as the greatest film ever made, even though now it's uh, this is its 70th anniversary? Yeah, mostly the technical merits. Uh, the times we've discussed it in the past, I, I mean, it, it did set the standard uh, for, for a time when there was not the special effects, the big booms and everything we have today. People had to do so much more with less. And... Orson Welles was somebody who was a master of that. Uh, you, you probably recall from previous discussions we've had. I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of the uh, of the theme and the message of the movie, but technically, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was just so well done. It, it was reminiscent of some of the other great films of the era, where you had to create suspense uh, uh, with what we would consider a low budget today. You know, with with lighting, with with shadow, with with portent, uh, you know, with with background music, what they had in the time, and uh, Wells was a master of all that. Oh, I see what you mean. I just watched uh, Citizen Kane again yesterday for the umpteenth time, and it still amazes me. And of course, it, the, like you, uh, the technical aspects, the cinematography of that film are just so amazing. But I still find it hard to believe that it was released way back in 1941, and I really do think that Orson Welles, who was only 25 at the time, did a brilliant job directing and co-writing and uh, starring in the film. No wonder it received nine Academy Award nominations, and but the only one it took home was Best Original Screenplay. Uh, and so that's uh, kind of why I I was so... 
fascinated by the way David Wirth uh, sort of imagined this fictional account of a wild weekend that Wells spent with cinematographer Greg Toland, who did do the cinematography for um, Citizen Kane and was nominated uh, for his work there. And, and that's when Nolan was supposed to have taught him everything he needed to know about filmmaking, which then supposedly contributed to the high quality of Citizen Kane. And, you know, Jazz, we were fortunate to interview David on our show in 2008 in connection with the release of his wonderful book. David just really knows his stuff. He's worked as a director and director of photography on more than 30 films, including two movies for Clint Eastwood. And I thought that our conversation with him was quite appropriate for a Citizen Kane celebration. So I'm really happy to play 30 minutes of that interview, thanks to Daniel Dyer, who edited and uploaded it for us. But I should mention that the first part of the tape deals mostly with filmmaking and cinematography in general. So you have to be patient. But in the last section, David talks about Orson Welles and Citizen Kane and with information you don't want to miss. Also, be sure to listen for one of Jazz's first calls to Movie Attic headquarters. And I think it's a result of this call that we, Nikki and I said, oh, golly, we, I hope we can get Jazz as our co-host. Of course, the last is history. And listen for Nikki's enthusiastic reactions. All right, let's play David's interview right now. What motivated you to write the Citizen Kane crash course on cinematography? Well, um, uh, several several things. Uh, first, uh, a dear friend of mine uh, who's a professor, full-time professor at Chapman University, uh, where I'm currently teaching, uh, Gil Bettman brought me into Chapman uh, to help out. I had, someone had dropped out of a semester, and they wanted me to 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 come in and fill in for this professor, and I did. And uh, Gil has been trying to get me into the, the halls of academia for, for several years, and uh, thank goodness he's now succeeded. Uh, yeah, that's and, and he uh Gil had already written a, a book about first time directors with his publisher, Michael Weesey Productions, and he introduced me to the publisher and I'd been working on something uh that was I, I was calling Lessons in Film at the time. Um, Ooh, that which was boring. <laughs> that's right. Uh and it was uh it was more or less a, a memoir of all of the lessons that I'd learned on all the locations that I'd been to all over the world. And uh, the publisher said, "Ah, we don't. It's too much of a memoir. We don't want to do memoirs." And so, you know, I was, but they, they, I was a little de- de- saddened by that. But they said, "Well, why don't you do a book on cinematography? You know, and you, you've got a little bit of cachet there, having done the two Clint Eastwood movies." And I, you know, I kind of thought, and I, it was a little, I was a little reluctant to start that because I had been directing for so many years, and. Um, and now I, they wanted me to go back into into cinematography, and I said, okay, let me think about it. Why don't you tell me the top five books that are out there on cinematography? And they told me the books, and I got them and went through them. And uh, basically, uh, they put me to sleep. Uh, they were I, if I if I ever needed uh, if I ever needed to go to sleep, all I need to do is dig one of those books out, and they they put you right out. They're well, the one technical. you wrote isn't going to put anybody to no. sleep. No, well, that's you know that you know, and uh, that was one of the that was what kind of what brought me to the concept of doing it. I discovered along the way doing this research that Orson Welles had uh, said to his entourage at some point, 
I learned everything about the art of cinematography from the great cinematographer Greg Toland in half an hour. And I looked at that statement and I said, wow, that's fantastic. But I know it wasn't half an hour. It was probably a weekend. <laughs> and knowing Mr. Wells' appetites for women and booze and little white pills, I said, it was probably a pretty wild weekend. And then my fantasy took off. And, and, and that's, that is how that, that whole thing was born, by, by finding that statement from Orson that gave me the impetus to let my imagination go on what, what, what Mr. Wells and Mr. Tolan might have done that weekend while Mr. Tolan was walking him down the path of these are the basics of cinematography and filmmaking. What a great idea. And actually, this, <clears throat> this is more a graphic textbook, I think. Yes, Don't it you? is. I mean, yes, that's 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 what people have told me, and that's what we're, we're the publishers and I are now trying to to uh, to let let people know that we are starting a new genre called a graphic uh, textbook. Um, because, and I I put a disclaimer right in the very beginning of the book, several places. I say if if uh, strong language or or nudity or uh, or descriptions of 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 sex uh, offends you, please don't read any further. Because I'm not here to offend anyone. I'm here to inform, to educate, and mostly to entertain. So I just tried to do something that was a little risque and a little irreverent and let the young people learn, the next let the next generation of filmmakers learn what the the basics of cinematography are along the way. And they will definitely... Uh do that uh, but but you know what david it's not just people interested in cin cinematography who will enjoy this this book um, and I, I do love the way you presented all of the technical aspects of cin cinematography but what i loved so much was the insider tidbits about movie stars <laughs> yeah. and events of that era i i just thought it was just delightful uh well, I did a lot of film fans will just love, they love to find out where did Clark Gable propose to Carol Lombard? Yes. And how I, glamorous I, was the first Academy Awards presentation? That that kind of thing, and it's just filled with with little insider information like that 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 all movie addicts like me would would just uh, eat up and and just uh, revel in it. But of course, the cinematography is the, the most important thing in in the book. But you did a good job of packing it with uh, with fun information too. And those Madame Gaylord look-alike girls, you want to tell our listeners what that's all about? Well, I I did a, once I realized I was going after Orson Welles and Mr. Toland. Uh, I, I I checked back into that time frame and I did a lot of research uh, on Hollywood on what was happening on on the gambling ships that were off the coast of Santa Monica of uh etc cetera, etc cetera, all the all the different places where people went for their various trysts the watering holes etc cetera, etc cetera. and i i then i tried to weave their story in and around the facts of what were what existed uh, in old hollywood in the in the 1940s Right. And uh, and part of what existed uh, was uh, were, were call girls that were um, famous celebrity lookalikes. Uh, 
um, you know, from the from the twenties and thirties. Gene uh, Harlow. And that's right. Marlene and, Dietrich. Right. That's right, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I made use of that little, which was something that's that's not new. Uh, we saw it in uh, in Hollywood. Uh, was it called Hollywood Confidential? The film that was out. Very good. L A. Confidential. L A. Confidential. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I used that as part of of the device of. Uh, of uh, how to tell the story, and they became they became the extras uh, that Mr. Wells and Mr. Tolan need to learn about the various sizes of lenses and various properties of light and things like that. And the illustrations so, in the in the book, uh, the uh, sketches done by is it uh, Muse Graderson in my yes Muse Graderson who was one of my one of my students uh, a year ago uh, this time he was taking a. Uh, a summer course that I was teaching at Chapman, and I saw his, uh, I saw his storyboards, and then approached him. I said, "I've got a book that's coming out. It's, our, it's you know, it's a done deal. It's, it's not pie in the sky. And if you'd like a credit as a, the illustrator, uh, I, I could certainly use you to illustrate the book. And again, it's a step toward. It's not really." Uh, uh, Totally as graphically illustrated as I would like it to be, I would love to do another pass as a as a real graphic textbook and and treat it like they do a graphic novel where every nearly every page has a has a has a very expressionistic uh, uh, set of storyboards. But we had enough to to tell the story and to show the behind the scenes and to show the technical aspects of what we were discussing. And uh, yes, we hope that this this graphic textbook craze will catch on. And I thought that it was a way uh, into a subject that can be very technical and dry. And I thought it was a way into it so that the young people of today who are used to MTV and used to YouTube and used to having uh, uh, bizarre images thrown at them all day could, could latch on to this and find it enjoyable, find it a good entertaining read, and as a, as a subtext, learn about the art of cinematography and filmmaking. And I think mission accomplished. And then the icing on the cake was getting one of my uh, favorite actors, Bruce Campbell, to write the foreword. How did that well, happen? Well, Bruce is, you know, one of my heroes, too. And uh, a few years ago, I was fortunate enough to uh, to – I was uh, director of photography on three sci-fi features that we did in Bulgaria. Ah. And and Bruce acted in the first one. It was called Alien Apocalypse, and then he was he was the director and star of the next one, which is a film that was his pet project that he'd been trying to make for ten years, called The Man with the Screaming Brain. Yes. So Bruce and I had a lot of time in Bulgaria, working shoulder to shoulder and side by side, and we saw that we we were good friends and good and good uh, and also good compatriots on the set. And, um, you know, then we both went our ways after that was done. And when this book came about, and I said, forward, forward, who can I get to do the forward? And, and Bruce came to mind, and I approached him, and he, and he was more than uh, happy to do it. And he did, I thought, a wonderful job. A and to me, that, to me, that sets the tone. If yeah. people know that Bruce Campbell is doing the forward, then they know this is going to be fun. Because Bruce, right. is, Bruce is a fun guy. And you know the highlight for me of the of the three uh, the three uh, Spider-Man movies is always looking for Bruce's cameo, and when he's there, he never disappoints. He always steals the show. 
he certainly does, and there's a lot of people that, uh, that that do the same thing. You know what, David? We have a call. I'm going to see if we can uh, get this person on the line and see what Terrific. question or comment he has. Area code 607, thank you so much for holding. This is Movie Attic Headquarters, and we have David Wirth with us. Who's calling, please? Hi, buddy, Joe. How are you today? I'm just fine, and this must be Jazz Shaw, am I correct? Oh, it is Jazz Shaw, and your guest is right on topic for me, so I was hoping I could get in one question today, and I appreciate you taking the time to take it. Well, any time, Jazz. We we always appreciate your input and your calls. So, David, this is Jazz Shaw, and Jazz has a question for you. Go ahead, Jazz. Uh, as you know, I've I've made some movies myself, uh, all really terrible, I'm sure. I wouldn't even embarrass David with them. Um, I tried to get into that uh, project called The Lot that Fox had. And my question is about director of photography positions, because that seems to be, at least what I'm seeing so far, more difficult than even being the director of a film. Because... You, you look at movies and you think, well, I could do that. And you get a good camera and you get like a script and a cast and you go do things. And I realized going back and looking at my work, like every one of the shots was a combination back and forth between two perspectives at exactly the same distance. And no matter how good the script was, no matter how good anything else was, it was visually boring with about within about 30 seconds. So the question I have for your guest is, is that something you can learn in school, or is that just an artistic sense on the set that you have to move the camera as a DP and get these different angles? Because when I was doing it, I thought it was great, and when I went back and looked at it later, oh, my God, it was horrible. Is, is that something you can learn, or is that just something you're born with? Is it an artistic? No, no, Jazz. It's it's totally learnable. That's why that's why the, that's why we have film schools. It's very easy to learn, and the best way to learn it is watching movies. And I because, watched a lot of them, but you know, yeah. I, then I looked at and my then, own work, and I was like, "Oh my God, that was terrible." <laughs> well, that, no, no, but that's but that's the first step. And believe me, I started out just like that as a as a young cinematographer and editor, and I'd shoot something, and I'd take it to the editing room, and I'd say, "That's wrong. Don't do that again." Both people are looking the same way. You didn't change the size of the image. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. The main thing is, once you see that there's a problem, is you fix it, and you learn by it, and you move on. And I, I really, um, I, I'm, uh, I, love, uh, I love movies, and I love studying movies. And now, especially today, it's very easy uh, to study films by either just going to, to Blockbuster or Hollywood Video, or my personal favorite, which is Netflix. And um, uh, I just think that, that this is the day, this is the time to be studying films because not only do you get the DVDs and you can you can you can pause it, you can go through it, you can analyze a scene shot by shot by shot. You can look at the extras, you can hear the director's commentary, you can look at behind the scenes. I've even gone back to films that I saw in the 60s and 70s, uh, like John Luc Godard's Contempt, because we never had the interview with Fritz Lang. Uh, uh, in the in the cinema when I saw it, uh, it's a wonderful time to study films, and I would say that that is the best way to improve your work is by studying what other directors are doing and em and emulating that in your work. If I could ask one quick follow-up, um, in addition to studying the work of other directors, and I've studied the work of a lot of shorts directors and things. Um, you see a lot of ads, like if you subscribe to Filmmaker Magazine and whatnot, for 
private study courses that you just pay and go to these more short-term courses. Is there any fast path, or do you, do you really need to just go back to square one and do a full tour and get a degree in filmmaking from a college? I mean, are, are there any technical courses that you would recommend, or will, will that not get you there? No, well, in your particular case, I would I would take a beginning cinematography course or a big or, or a beginning um, um, uh, visual course that forces you to either take a still camera or a film camera and tell a story in visuals, because that seems to be the area that that you want to improve on. Because I'm already like in my 50s, and it's like kind of late for me. I feel to start like a five-year college degree no, program right. at this point. Right, and that's you know, and there's all kinds of ways to succeed uh, in the film business, and there are people uh, who have gone to film school and gone through it and graduated and made great movies like Francis Ford Coppola, uh, or or George Lucas, and there are people who have just learned it as they as they go, uh, you know, like Robert Rodriguez, uh, Neil DeBute, people like this. Uh, so it's it, there's no hard and fast rule. Whatever works for you, uh, I would say at your particular age, force yourself. Take a still camera. Here's the cheapest way to do it. Take a digital camera and go out and tell a little story with two or three people just visually with that camera. And, and then look at the stills and say, oh, I should have gone closer here. Oh, I should have gone wider there. And start doing that. And when you feel comfortable, in fact, I encourage all my students to do storyboards of whatever film, whatever little project they're doing with a digital camera because it right away shows you the visual image and size that you want and is it boring or should, does it need to be fixed? Well, I will try that and I thank you for the input and I thank you for taking you know the time to talk to me today and I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Jazz. Well, thank you, Jazz, for calling and one other suggestion that I would make um, as soon as the crash, Citizen Kane crash course in cinematography is available, I suggest that you order a copy. Do you think that that's a good suggestion, David? I will be, do I will be doing that. You can rest assured, Betty Joe. I take all your suggestions seriously, and I will be ordering that. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for calling, Jazz. Um, I'm wondering now, David, if it wouldn't be a good time to check with Nikki and see how the chat's going. Nikki, are there any comments or questions from the chat that you'd like to uh, share with us? Well, first of all, I just want to say what a great show. Thank you very much. And there's not too much. There's not too many questions. I actually have one, though, if you don't mind, which is rare. I know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we I, never mind I, when you have a question or a comment, <laughs> Nikki. Go ahead. Well, I love this. So I have a nephew. All right, and he, I'm going to order him the book. He just started his ninth grade, so he's his first year in high school, and he is amazing at claymation and animation, even Wonderful. as far as different angles and lighting, and he makes storyboards. He's never done anything ever professionally, but I'm just going to get him the book, and I, I have a lot to, you know, I think that there's a lot to say about a natural, having a natural talent and, you know, also learning from somebody like you. And just, you know, being able to, like, he's, I know he'll love the whole take. I mean, he's young, and so having that MTV YouTube kind of graphic interface is what he loves. Wonderful. And those are the types of movies that, that he'll shoot, you know, where, I mean, I say shoot, but he draws them, and then he has different, I don't even know, he uses crazy computer stuff I've never even seen. But do you, have you done anything with that as far as the computer goes, Um like a director, like what you do, do you have to rely on the computer and, you know, different types of – because like you can crop a picture if you don't get close enough. You know, you can bring it closer. Oh, yes. 
Okay. Yes, Wes, no. Uh, well, and, you know, that's the, the thing right now is everything is moving toward digital filmmaking. I, I grew up shooting 16, 8 millimeter and 16 millimeter, and, and I've shot 35 millimeter all of my prof- 30 years of my professional life. But the last two films that I, I directed and photographed were both high def movies, and I had one of the best experiences in my life working with this new medium, high definition, and it is definitely here and here to stay. Uh, has nothing to do with saying that that it's better than film. It's not a matter of those kind of comparisons, but it's just like I used to have an electric typewriter. I loved my electric typewriter. Mm-hmm. Where is it now? It's in storage because I right. have Microsoft Word. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. It's just that progress has happened. And when it comes to filmmaking, progress is happening right now as we speak. And high def and things like the red camera are taking over as the means of capture and the means of of, uh, release of the films. And it doesn't change anything in the process of filmmaking. The process remains absolutely the same. It just changes the tools that we capture and that we deliver with. But yes, I've worked. Uh, I'm working a lot with uh, with the computer, as we all are. I mean, we're slaves to it. There's no way. There's no way to get to get away from it. What I'm totally fascinated by, having done the book, uh, uh, the Citizen Kane Crash Course in Cinematography, all of my research I was able to do on the computer, and that is the thing I just find so fascinating that anything that you can Google. Anything that you can think of, anything you want to study, if you want to study great directors, if you want to study cameras, if you want to study still photography, whatever it is, you can get into it and you can find reams and reams of of books and sites to visit and things to get into. Um, Somebody sent me something on the red camera the other night, and I was up till 2 in the morning uh, uh, looking at various sites. There was interviews with Stanley Kubrick. There was the red camera discussed by Steven Soderbergh and Peter Jackson and and examples and tests and the new Scarlet camera that's coming out and the new Epic camera. I mean, just I went, wow, you know, it's just it's amazing what is there. It's like magic. I still think it's magic. I have no idea no, it, how it all works, but it's yeah, magic. It yeah, it is. And you can't, you cannot stump it. You cannot come up with something that it doesn't have a reference or a list of books on, which is wonderful for people in in academia or anyone who's interested in a subject. I mean, people like um, uh, the great novelist, uh, um, uh, what was his name, the African-American novelist, his last name is Baldwin. What's his first name? Um, we know it's know. not Stephen or Alan. No, I know, I know it's not those bald ones, but <laughs> it was a great. And, and 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 he's and I remember reading uh, interviews with him, and he said I spent all my time in the library reading books. That was his computer of those days because he grew up in the forties. Uh And and so yeah, so um, uh, now we have this, and people can virtually teach themselves whatever they want to learn with access to, to the Internet. Wow. Thank well, you very luck. much. Good luck to to. And the, Yes, good luck young. to your young man, and he sounds like a very talented. I mean, I, I, I just I went to one of the sites. Martin Scorsese was, was discussing Stanley Kubrick, and, and they were showing some early pictures of Martin Scorsese's early storyboards of biblical mm-hmm. epics that he was wanting yeah. to do when he was a young a young man. So just the fact that, that your your young man is, is already doing storyboards is putting him in good company. 
That's great. And, and also, I have one other thing to say as, as being a producer for Blog Talk Radio, you have the most amazing voice. I have so enjoyed listening to you, and I saw that you've done, like you've been, an, you were an announcer before, and your voice is so nice. Thank you. Well, I, <laughs> I, I thank you very much, and I'm available. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have I, I, I started, I, you know, I like, you know, we all get bit when we're young. When I was young, I did theater, and I actually did radio. I was a radio actor oh, in Chicago so nice. and did theater and did little films and, and uh, all of those things as I was getting my feet wet, and then I, I saw that I wanted to be behind the camera. But, uh, but yes, uh, thank you. I appreciate your compliment. Thank you thank so you. much, Nikki, mm-hmm. and I, I agree with you. David has uh, a radio voice par excellence. But getting back to his book, I was wondering how, what was the thing that you enjoyed most about writing it, and, and maybe what was the most challenging thing about it, David? Well, um, the thing I enjoyed most was this fantasy that I have created uh, uh, about the two Hollywood icons, Orson Welles and Greg Tolan. These men are like, are like Grecian gods uh, in the film industry, and I have I have taken them and and tweaked their image a little bit and kind of uh, brought them down to earth and and had them indulging in some rather risque activities. So that was that was a lot of fun to play with to play with uh, to play with the icons and and so and you know, but I don't think that any of what I imagine them doing is is anything apart from what anyone in a position of privilege whether it be a rock star or a politician hasn't done oh yes and i think the the quotes that you included uh, from orson welles in the appendix were just so revealing uh, that one thing that he said he says i've worked my way from the uh, top to the bottom. That's right. Started, instead of instead of starting at the bottom and working my way up, he started at the top and worked his way down. Uh, he was an absolutely brilliant man. And then uh, he and said, the, "This is the this is the this is the best, the greatest electric train set that any yes. boy could have about filmmaking." Oh yes. No, but, and he, and, he recognized that, he re- and he certainly took it to places that it hadn't been before. That was the thing. Uh, the man was, uh, you know, uh, some kind of a genius, and coming out of theater and coming out of radio and then coming into film at 25 years old and doing a film which which many still think is one of the best films ever made, to start with that kind of a track record and take the the medium of film and stretch it as much as he did, the language of film, uh, I just find totally amazing. I do too, yeah. and those camera angles uh, in Citizen Kane—they're—they're they're just uh, just perfect for that movie. But I think they're the type of thing that hadn't been tried too much up to that time. No, no, uh, that's right. He 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 and Mr. Toland invented a lot of things. Uh, there were a lot of things in that movie. Going back and watching it again, I. I, I recently taught a course uh, that I, uh, I came up with at UCLA called um, Milestones in Cinema that traces all of the, the important events that have happened in the cinema, uh, either directing or cinematography or editing-wise, from Intolerance through uh, Battleship Potemkin, uh, through Napoleon, down through Orson Welles, the French New Wave, the Italian Neorealist, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down. Uh, through the Blair Witch Project and uh, Collateral, which of course is the is the inauguration of High Def. And in looking at Citizen Kane again, I found techniques in there 
that whole the whole di- disillusion of the marriage scene that takes place in two minutes that's yeah. tied together with swish pans. Nobody mm-hmm. used a swish pan again until Man from Uncle on TV in the 1960s. Right. So it's just amazing that he just he created language that hadn't been thought of and wouldn't become popular for 20 more years. Yes, and some some of his films uh, that people didn't really uh, take a shine to at first. If you look at them a little bit later, I'm thinking of Touch of Evil. Oh yeah, great film. Then you see that's that right. later. Yeah. I mean, and yes. you look and you say, "Oh, that is a, that's a tremendous film." So there's no doubt about it. He was he was a genius. So you couldn't have picked a better subject to and Greg Tolan for heaven's sakes, the legendary Greg Tolan with his. Well, they are the reason I. They're too. I. I had a. I had a. I watched Citizen Kane when I was in high school, one afternoon on on television, and even with all of the commercials and everything, I I got it, and that was what started the snowball rolling downhill for me, uh, in pursuing a career in filmmaking. So so I owe I owe it all to a screening of of Citizen Kane. Wow. I I was wondering what's the most important thing you'd like people to know about you and your work, David. Well, um, what I try and tell all of the, the students in almost every class I do, I draw a picture of an iceberg. And I draw the 10% above the water, and then I draw the water, and I draw the 90% below the water, and I say, what's that? And they say, oh, it's an iceberg. And I say, no. That's film production. And the 10% that's above the water is shooting the film, or being on location with all the actors and all the, and all the crew, and going to the premiere and having uh, talk television and all the bright lights on you. That's the 10% that's above the water. That's what everyone focuses on. That's what you see on TV. That's what people uh, want, to, want to find out more about. What's happening on the set? What's happening at the premiere? The 90% that's below the water is how and the film is made. And if the film is going to be a good film, it's all determined by the 90% that's below the water. What happens in pre-production? What kind of a script is it? What kind of a producer is it? What kind of a director is it? What kind of a, a, of, a of a cast do we have? What are the locations? What do we do in post-production? What about the editing? What about the sound effects? What about the music, the final mix? On and on and on. And and think of the man hours involved in something that's as vast as a Lord of the Rings for all that 90% below the water. And that's what I want people to know is that filmmaking is not the 10% that you see uh, on um, you know on uh, talk television or on 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 all of the all of the gossip shows it's the 90%. making the films is the ninety percent that's below the water it's the hard day in and day out work of making the film and and I always also tell everyone to me the hardest job in show business is sitting at the blank page typing fade in. I know. I can't believe we only have one minute left. We could spend a lot more time with you, David. I hope you'll give us a chance to do I'm that. I'm happy but to any time. Our I'm, time is up, and you have made the show just fly by. You've been a super guest, and I know that your your book is going to be a tremendous success, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Anytime.
Thanks so much, David. This is Thank Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for all their help in connection with this show. And special thanks to Nikki Starr for everything she does to make Movie Addict Headquarters happen. And, of course, to David Wirth for telling us about the Citizen Kane Crash Course in Cinematography. Please order a copy of that book. Thanks to everyone who listened in live or to the archives or took part in the chat and to Jazz for calling in. He always calls in with such great questions. We really appreciate your participation. And as you can probably tell, folks, I really enjoyed talking with David Wirth. He's one of my all-time favorite guests. Jazz, do you have any comments you'd like to add about David or Citizen Kane as long as we have a couple of minutes left? I actually did get that uh, guide of his. I was in the midst of uh, working on a film at the time, amazingly, which we wound up getting second place in a film festival in Albany, New York. Oh, congratulations. Uh, called Hostage Control back then, and, and I used some of the tips that uh, that I learned from David. I, I do wish that more of that interview back then had been actually on the film itself, because it was fascinating. It's great for anybody interested in movies, uh, in making them, uh, in, in working in that industry. But there was so little of the time that was actually spent on the film because Citizen Kane was an important film, uh, both in positive and negative ways and in, in so many, in so many ways. And, and we really, there, there was hardly any time to touch on it during the interview. Well, I think the the thing that uh, David did that I appreciated so much was to pick Citizen Kane and Orson Welles and Greg Toland, and then uh, piggybacking on that, uh, do the great the great book about uh, about the two men, the two icons, uh, getting together, and uh, and out of that came the. Uh, the great Citizen Kane. But yes, we we could do another entire program about Citizen Kane. So so your point is well is well taken. Um how about you, Nikki? Anything else you would like to say about uh, David? I know he's one of your favorites too. Chris, you may have lost There we go. <laughs> no, I'm here. <laughs> Good. Am I here? Okay. Sorry about that. Nice. Yes, you're right. Nice professional production. I just want to say that um, he's he's still a friend of mine through email, David is, and that I enjoyed listening to him. This I probably heard this interview maybe five or six times, and I still enjoyed it. And he's just wonderful. I love him. I feel the same way. It's, it's really uh, every time I listen to the interview, and, of course, we only played uh, part of it, but uh, I learned so much about uh, filmmaking from uh, listening to, to David uh, Wirth. But now I see it's time to wrap things up, and I would like everybody to come back next time when our guest will be an exciting cast member from the new Footloose movie. So I think you all know how excited I am about that. And in the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. And now, to close the show, why don't we do that with a song uh, that will help us get ready for next week's guest. Here's Kenny Loggins with Footloose. 